The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Life is complicated and sometimes we all need a little help, but don't have the time for a full hour-long session or don't know who to turn to. That's where BetterHelp comes into play. With BetterHelp, I can get matched with one of over 2,500 licensed and approved counselors and therapists. nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Hi, this is Leanne Meyer, your host for Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Today is um, an interesting day, uh, partly because of all of the things that have been happening uh, over the week and um, the storm ravages. So I'd like to dedicate this show to all of the nurses and care providers that are striving to work through the enormity of need created by the hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Jose. Um, plus the major earthquake that has happened in Mexico. Not many people know the sacrifices that those healthcare people are doing behind the scenes, um, probably risking their lives, uh, taking time away from their families, not knowing what's going on with their own homes while they care for patients in various different places. So I just want you to know that we do know what you're doing. Please stay safe. And um, also, as you deal with the aftermath, um, I want to thank all of my listeners for continuing to listen to us each week. Your comments, emails, ideas, and encouragement has been just wonderful. Um, I encourage you to let me know what's on your mind. Our show today is called What Nursing Is to Nurses. Um, I I don't know how many people really understand the enormity of what a nurse's job entails. Uh, In many, if not most, nursing jobs, it is heavy, hard work, which involves every aspect of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual energy of nurses. In addition, because nurses tend to be giving people, they also are giving at home, in their neighborhood, places of worship extended family and friends. And so caring and giving tends to be something they do. Um, What I'm wanting to get at here today is what is it about this job that captures a sense of mission, joy, growth, and pride in the nurse, her, or himself? Uh, When you pull everything else away, what is it that touches the core of the nurse and brings them back day after day to do this difficult work? So for me, it means the stories, those things that I have experienced over the period of my career, those places where I was involved with somebody at a crucial moment in their life. It might be birth of a child. It might be death of a parent. Um, Just being able to be there at that moment and feel like I'm contributing something that makes that experience easier for them or that they can be more confident Um, as they're going through it. Um, Today, I'm hoping that people will call in and share some of their stories. 
And that call-in number is 866-472-5792. But I'll start us off with some of my stories. Um, I really do want to hear from you. What were the highs and lows perhaps that shook you and made you realize the depth and breadth of this profession? Um, Tell us about the time you went above and beyond your job description to make a huge difference with a patient, a family member, co-worker, any of the different ways that you're impacting other people in in your life. So if there's something you can share without using anyone's specific name or the location uh, that would help everyone understand what nursing is to nurses. So some of the experiences that I've had have been pretty small and may seem like they're not a very profound effect. Uh, Probably all of us have experienced being recognized when we're out in public, maybe in the um, grocery aisle, or in my case, one time I, I was voting, I came out of the voting booth and someone came running up to me, a woman, and said, you helped deliver all of my babies. And they're all out in the car in my in my van. I want you to meet them. So I'm like totally taken aback because you know uh, mothers uh, who are in labor um, don't look anything like the random mother or the random person that you meet in the grocery store. So they tend to remember the nurse, but the nurse is not always able to recognize them. So she did bring me out to the van and introduce me to all of her children. Some of them were teenagers, and they were so embarrassed. Um, But it did make a profound effect for me that she remembered me uh, that long afterward, and it meant enough to her that she even wanted me to to introduce me to to her children. Um, I think I mentioned on a previous show that I became a nurse out of fear for my alternatives. I was afraid of going to college. Um, I decided to go into a three-year diploma program because I thought it would be um, very protective of me. What I quickly learned, though, was that I was really made to be a nurse by my personality, by um, uh, many other traits, by just who I was. I found out I really did care for people and that caring for people uh, felt like a mission to me. I quickly found that every aspect of the nurse's training was interesting to me at the very least, even the ones that I didn't like and didn't do very well in. Unfortunately, microbiology, chemistry, and can you believe it, nutrition were not my forte. So um, as I mentioned on other shows, um, I had to be working while I was going to school, which ended up being a great benefit to me. It allowed me more opportunities to see the disease processes up close and personal while I was learning about them. It also helped to um, embed those experiences into my memory so that when I came upon them again in the future, it was something that came back as being familiar to me. Uh, Another kind of small uh, experience that I had was one of the first times I remember being especially touched by an elderly patient. Um, I'm going to use Mary as her name. It was not her real name. Um, She was frequently returning as a patient, so I saw her both as a student nurse and as an aide. Um, I don't even remember really her problem, but she and I became friends. She finally returned to health, and afterwards she invited me to come to her home to visit her. She told me her life story, and it seemed 
unbelievable. Like I, I really looked at her and thought, can I even believe what you're telling me? She told me she was from Poland. She, her parents were desperately poor and they had taken money from a man in the United States to marry him. So they married her off to him and she moved to the United States. Um, it actually ended up, I even forget the state she was in, but he did not, he misrepresented himself to her parents. And it turned out this guy who was supposed to be in his 20s, like her, actually she was in her teens, I think she said she was 17. Um, he was in his 50s and he was abusive to her in every way you could imagine. So after about two years, she managed to escape from him and uh, left that state, eventually ending up coming to Minnesota. And she made a living cleaning. And then uh, she had one beautiful feature. She was not a particularly gorgeous person, but she had long, luxuriant, bright red hair. And she discovered that was something she could sell. And uh, fortunately for her, her hair grew very, very fast. So within you know six to seven months, she could keep um, selling her hair. Um, so at any rate, um, all of these stories, I just became very connected to her. I was amazed at how many extremely challenging uh, stories, things that another person would have been deeply depressed, angry, maybe even felt suicidal about. But Mary always found the humor in everything. She taught me that happiness is a choice, and she inspired me. Uh, with her never give up and never give in attitude. She was a pretty feisty little thing. Unfortunately, it took me decades to truly understand that concept in my own life. I saw myself sometimes as a victim, but when I would remember her, um, I would always come back to that. What did she mean by that? How did she do it? So um, this hair she talked about so frequently, I kept thinking, yeah, 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 she's really blowing this out of proportion. But she actually brought me one day to a dresser, open the dresser, and here wrapped in tissue paper, just so carefully, was preserved this huge, it was probably two and a half feet long, um, shock of hair that was, as she said, beautiful, uh, deep red. It had darkened, she said, over the years. Um, but it, it helped me to believe everything else she had told me. And uh, so some of the lessons that she taught me, I continue to learn from even 40 years later. Another story that comes to mind uh, was, uh, uh, let's see, was, um, I think I'm actually going to take a break here. Um so that this story is a little bit long. I don't want to take too much time with it. So we'll, we'll take a break and then come back. I want to thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. And um, I would like to uh, encourage you to call us and share with us your stories at 866-472-5792. And uh, please uh, give us a call, and even on the break, and we will talk again when we get back. I'll have some more stories for you. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are. In the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to once a nurse always a nurse exploring the world of nursing with host leanne meyer to reach the program today please call 1-866-472-5792 that's 1-866-472-5792 you may also send an email to leanne voice america at gmail.com now back to once a nurse always a nurse Hi, this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, and as usual, it's Leanne Meyer, your host, and we are talking today about what is nursing to nurses, and every single nurse that has been able to stay in nursing for any period of time has incredible stories about those experiences, and many times it is those experiences that have helped her or him to stay in nursing even during the toughest of times. So I thought I'd start us off and um, uh, give you a couple of my experiences, and I'm hoping that some of you will be able to call in and share. Don't be nervous. This is just a little chat with uh, two people. So um, I remember so many nights in my career sitting with a patient and worrying about when when or if I needed to call a doctor, was there enough change to warrant waking that person? Uh, I remember pulling everything I had learned over time to try and come back to knowing what was it that this patient really needed from me. Um, When a a crisis would hit, uh, I always was afraid, would I be ready to handle it? Would I do what was needed? Um, Could I contact the right people in time? while still looking out for all of the other patients. So it was a pretty heavy load, and and, um, I remember as a new grad RN, one of my first um, first job, I guess it would have been, I was on a step-down ICU unit. Uh, it was uh, considered med surge, but it was really a lot of the patients that had been transferred out of the intensive care unit. 
Um, so I was making my rounds uh, that I'd made every hour and came upon a patient who had COVID is what we call it when uh, their heart was not working efficiently. And I realized pretty quickly something was wrong. But instead of just pushing the code button on the wall, I actually ran out of the room and went out to the desk where I did call the code and um, returned back to his room. Um, I, I, when I went back, I had only time to put his bed flat, and then the code team was already there, and they took over from there. But I remember how my legs were just, my knees were just shaking completely, and I, I was lambasting myself all night long about how I had walked away from the patient when um, the code, when I realized there was a code. You can believe I never, ever did that again. But what really helped me uh, get through that and not leave nursing after that uh, was a kind supervisor who sat down with me at the end of the shift and we debriefed the situation. She talked to me about all the things I had done right, um, as well as some of the things that I needed to learn from. And she said that in nursing, um, we're always learning. And what she told me is we have to learn from absolutely everything. And that was one of the, the key um, things that someone taught me that stayed with me for the rest of my career. And each, every crisis situation, I thought about uh, what am I learning and how can I do this better? And certainly over time, I became pretty calm in crisis situations and did pretty well. Um so there were many things like this. I remember another time uh, when I was a much more seasoned nurse. I was working labor and delivery at night, and I came on um, to a patient in labor who was doing just fine. There was no comments from anybody that there was anything going wrong. However, I just had a feeling through the night. It just kept getting more and more um uh, deeper to me, that there was something wrong, that something was going to go wrong. And my instinct was telling me that the baby was just going to crash at some particular point in time. So I was really on edge and worried. And as time went on, we had a fetal monitor attached to her. So I was able to watch how the baby was doing. And there was nothing on the monitor to indicate that there was going to be any kind of a problem. But I was concerned. As she was getting closer and closer to delivery, I decided to um, give the doctor a call and ask him to come in earlier, uh, just in case something went wrong. Well, unfortunately, he was one of those doctors that, um, I don't know if he didn't like nurses or he didn't trust nurses or what it was exactly, but he um, had a tendency to pretty much yell at nurses as, as much as he could. So he started yelling at me. He yelled at me for probably at least five minutes. I had to hold the phone arm's length away so that it wouldn't uh, be too loud uh, for me, for my ears. And so um, I said, well, this is, you know, I, I'm just going to put that out for you and hopefully you will come in because he didn't indicate that he was going to come, I ended up calling the neonatologist and asked if he would come in early just in case. And so gratefully, he was uh, willing to do that. So as I continued to go and prepared her for delivery, um, he, the doctor, the original doctor, called me at least two more times, pulled me out of the uh, labor room uh, to again yell at me. <laughs> 
And so finally, the third time, he was while he was on the phone, I turned around, looked at the monitor, and realized that the baby was crashing at that moment. And that's what I said to him, doctor, the baby is crashing now. And I hung up the phone, and as I was walking away from the phone, the elevator opened up, and there was the neonatologist. He came with me to the room. We delivered the baby, and um, he was able to immediately resuscitate and work with the baby. Um, so many years later, I don't even remember exactly what was wrong, but um, uh, whatever it was, it didn't show up in any uh, of the ways that we should have been able to see that coming. So the doctor, the original doctor, did finally come in. He was furious with me. He was sure that I had somehow missed something, um, that there was something very obvious that I could have told him that would have indicated to him that something was wrong. So he took the, um, there's a strip that comes off the machine and um, off the uh, monitor. And he took that with him, even though that's not legal to do. We. Uh, had quite a time trying to find that strip for a while, but he took it home. He kept it for a couple of days. When he brought it back, he pulled me aside and he said, I have to apologize to you. Um, And this is something I'm sure this guy has never done to anyone ever before. Uh, He was so uncomfortable doing it. But he said to me that he had gone over the the strip with a fine-tooth comb He could not find anything to indicate that this was going to happen. And he asked me again, what was it that told you this was going to happen? And the only thing I could say is the same thing I had said before, just an instinct. I just had an instinct that something was going to happen. And I felt like it was going to be the baby. So as a result of that, he never, ever questioned me again. Anytime I called him, anytime, night or day, he would say, what do you want and how soon? And um, from that time on, he just decided that I had a skill that he was going to use and and trust. And that's pretty much what we did going forward. So that's um, one of many, again, of um, stories that have happened in my career. Um, Still, some of these are not quite as serious as as some other things that have happened over time. So I was thinking of uh, a time when I had a Hmong couple uh, from Vietnam who had come here. They'd been in the United States for uh, a number of years at that time. Uh, Probably was in the early 80s or mid-80s somewhere. And anyway, they had had, um, this was going to be their eighth child. Every other one of their children had been healthy, nothing at all wrong with them. I don't remember what kind of uh, prenatal care they had had, but I would suspect that maybe they weren't uh, coming quite as frequently as they might have. That was something that happened sometimes um, in those days. So um, I came onto the unit on a Monday morning um, after a weekend off, and immediately my staff met me at the door and they were terrified. Um, They said that there had been a delivery over the weekend um, that that did not go well. Um, I was was thrilled to hear that the nurse that had been involved and the doctor that had been involved were both excellent. So I knew right there I could trust that whatever they had done was probably correct and appropriate. However, um, this Hmong family, what actually ended up happening was that their baby was born anencephalic. For those who don't know what that would be, 
it means that the baby was um, not completely formed and that the area from the eyes up was missing. There was no brain, no skull, there was nothing there, just skin that was over the top of um, the, um, the lower part of the brain. So while the baby was on the monitor, the baby looked perfectly healthy. But when the nurse had done an exam, she realized that there was something wrong with the head. And so in that, she called the doctor in, and they went from there. However, um, the family didn't speak a lot of English, and it was difficult for them to understand that they were telling them that their baby was going to die immediately after delivery. And so they kept, for some reason, the nurse had kept the fetal monitor on, which indicated a healthy baby with heartbeat. And um, they kept it on right through the delivery. And so at the end of the delivery, this baby came forth with nothing uh, for a head above the eye level. And this, of course, was very shocking to the parents, even though the doctor and the nurse had tried to explain to them that that was what they were expecting would happen. Of course, it was just they just couldn't take it in. So it was my understanding that the Hmong people had elders that they consulted on any kind of really major um, uh, things that were problem areas for them. And so they had asked their elders to come in that same day. And the nurses uh, reported to me that they had asked for all sorts of interesting things or unusual things, I should say, like tape measures and flashlights and um, all kinds of things that, you know, family or family friends would not normally be asking for. But they kept the baby with them for quite a long time into the evening. And um, one of the nurses sometime during the night had overheard that the family elders had said that something had gone wrong. They believed that the nurse or the doctor had perhaps uh, poked a hole in the baby's head before delivery and that the brain had um, come out somehow. And that was what they could understand. And so they decided they were going to call a lawyer on the Monday morning that I was walking in. So I had no experience with this. I didn't even know what an anencephalic baby would look like. And so I went to the morgue and looked at the baby, and it was very clear that nothing had been done to the baby. It simply was not formed correctly and, and would not have survived no matter what. So I gathered a supervisor to go with me to the fa- patient's room. And um, I just wanted them to, I wanted somebody there to be a second to hear, to maybe take notes, um, just another person to be able to be a witness, I guess, to what was going to happen. So as I entered the room, um, the two, the mother and the father were talking quietly together. And I explained who I was and why I was there. And then I apologized, or I, I said to them that I'm so sorry for the loss of your baby. I understand that must have been a very difficult situation. So ultimately what I did was I just asked them to tell me what the experience was like for them. The mother didn't speak English, or at least she didn't offer to speak English. The father did speak English, but uh, certainly not um, uh, prolific in the language. Um, He did a very good job, though, of explaining to me what their experience was. They were hearing a baby's heartbeat on the monitor all the way to delivery. Once the cord was cut, the baby um, 
apparently didn't breathe and the heart did not beat anymore. And the doctor um, did not seem to be doing anything to help the baby or to try and resuscitate the baby. So to their way of thinking, something had been, uh, that, that something had gone wrong that the nurse or the doctor had done. And so after listening to him, and he was very adamant, you know, about how this experience was for them and that um, they felt that something terrible had happened to them. And so I accepted what he had said. I thanked him for telling me. I told him I could certainly understand how he would feel that way. And I, I asked if he would be willing to listen to me tell him from our point of view what we thought had happened. And so I spent several minutes trying as, as clearly and as um, uh, basically as I could to explain to him that the baby's brain had never formed and therefore there was nothing to keep the baby alive. So um, he um, listened to everything I had to say and he suddenly started to cry. And his wife started to cry also. They kind of held each other. And the father, when he could talk again, said that somewhere inside of him, he knew that that was really the truth and that what they had experienced was what, you know, was denial, was what they had wanted to believe was true. And um, he thanked me for listening. So all I did for that couple was really I listened to them and I acknowledged the pain that they were experiencing. And at the end of it, he did, he called and canceled the lawyer. They never did go any further with that. Um, we did encourage them to get some um, help with themselves and with the rest of their family to um, deal with this infant death, which is difficult for any family. But certainly if you have a language barrier and have never experienced this or didn't know anybody else who had experienced it, it would be very difficult for them to be able to deal with so that was a huge experience. I was the manager. Um, many things were on the line there. You know, if they had sued, they might have sued the nurse or the doctor, the hospital, our department. Any number of things could have happened. And I just pushed that out of my mind and just thought about who were this couple and what did they need from me as a nurse. And so that's what I ended up doing. I have so many stories like this. Um, sometimes it seems hard to believe that all of these things have happened in my life, but um, but they have. And what I'm grateful for is that somehow or another I had learned enough lessons and, and found it within myself to be able to be there for those people. I had um, another experience that happened to me um, many, many years ago. In it actually while I was still a pretty new graduate in my first job. And it was a person I'll, I'll call Rose who came into the um, my department, med surge floor, uh, the night before her surgery for, um, she was going in to have an exploratory laparotomy. She'd been having pain and bleeding from the rectum and didn't know what it was about. And so they were gonna go in and explore and see. She was coming late um, to be admitted. It was 10.30 or even later as she was coming in. But she told me that she was coming after her the graduation party for her youngest child. She called him Cheeto. And um, that she was so happy. She had 
Her husband had died when um, shortly after this youngest child had been born, and she had raised her five sons on her own, working in just um, very uh, low-paying jobs. And her goal was always that she wanted to send one of her her children to college. And she was determined to do that. However, she had not been able to for one reason or another. Every one of the children, um, the previous boys, had to go to work. And um, she was not able to um, send them to college. So this child had graduated from high school with honors. He was accepted into a college in the fall. This was in the spring obviously right after graduation. And so she was so hopeful. She had, ra- she had saved enough money for the first uh, semester, and her sons had agreed that they would try and help him through whatever else he needed. Um, she went to surgery, and uh, when they opened her up, they realized that she had a tremendous amount of cancer in her bowel, and they ended up, um, most doctors would do what we used to call an open and close there's nothing we can do for you, and you know you will have X number of months or weeks left to live. This doctor was from the Kaiser Permanente doctor. He was kind of a fair-haired boy. He was the guy that when no one else could do something uh, with a patient, he always seemed to be able to make it work, and, and he would be able to save the person. So he um, encouraged uh, the sons that, in fact, he took out part of her bowel, and then encouraged the sons uh, that um, he was sure that he could um, bring her back to her original self. Long story short, she ended up going through many surgeries. I don't even remember how many surgeries, seven or eight. Each time, the doctor would promise them that he would be able to bring her back to her health. And so the surgeries basically ate away at the money that she had saved for her youngest son. Um, I saw her many times in the hospital. I worked on intensive care unit, and sometimes she would come to my unit, which was the step-down ICU unit. Each time, she was sicker than the time before. Finally, um, uh, she kept begging the nurses to to, uh, let the doctor just, you know, let her go to not do anything more to her. But um, the doctor was always able to talk her sons into signing for one more surgery. So um, eventually she was on my unit. She'd come to my unit um, in the evening and I came on at 11 o'clock at night. When I went in to see her, I couldn't even believe it was the same person that was so lively when I first met her. She had IVs coming out of all different parts of her body. She was getting all sorts of supportive medication, etc. cetera. Um, so I was trying to figure out what to do. And um, this gets into a, a um, kind of a tender part of the story and we're coming up on a break. So I think I'm gonna take a break here. And when we come back, I will fill you in on the rest of the story. So this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And we're talking about what nursing is to nurses. Um, I'm still hoping that you will be able to, someone will be able to call in and share some of their experiences. The number is 1-866-472-5792. And I uh, am really looking forward to hear about hearing from some of um, the other nurses around the nation and the country and the world. Um, 
about your experiences as a nurse. So we will go to our break now. Thank you. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. This particular show is called um, "What What Nurses What Why Nurses um, Love Nursing," and um, what nursing is to nurses. So I've been trying to share some of my experiences. I'm still hoping that someone will be able to call in. Uh, sometimes it's scary to call and share your own experience. Um, just think of it as having a little conversation with just me. Uh, the phone number again is 1-866-472-5792. So uh, I was talking about uh, a patient that I had many years ago who was uh, admitted for an explore, exploratory laparotomy. Um, she came in late in the evening after her uh, graduation party for her youngest son, who she called Chito. And... She was so happy and so excited that she was going to be able to send this child to college that she had not been able to send her other four boys whom she had raised on her own after the death of her husband. Um, She was just an amazing person, very little person, but she was um, happy and bright and just uh, so excited. Uh, She kind of had sort of forgotten about having to have this surgery and she had been having some rectal bleeding and the doctor wanted to do an exploratory laparotomy to find out what was going on. 
um, as I had said, when they opened her up, she was she had a lot of cancer, and most doctors would have said that it probably wasn't possible to save her and allow her to just live the rest of her life to the best that she could. But the doctor we had um, would not give up on her. He just simply um, kept saying that he could cure her, and he kept encouraging her sons to continue to sign uh, papers for her to have more and more surgeries. So um, she was on the intensive care unit. She would come to my step-down ICU unit sometimes. And as she uh, stayed in the hospital, she was in the hospital for more than, I think, four months as one in in stay, um, um, one time uh, in the uh, uh, one stay in the hospital. And her chart got so big that it actually, we had a long counter that the doctors used to um, dictate their their orders and their uh, charting, etc. And her chart was spread out along that entire counter. So many nurses in the intensive care unit, she had asked them to please, you know, talk to the doctor and talk him into just letting her go. But um, they weren't able to convince him, and he continued to do more surgeries. So finally, she was admitted to my unit at about 11 o'clock at night or in the evening before I came on at 11. And when I went in to see her, I just couldn't believe it. She had suction machines and IV machines, and she was getting all sorts of um, uh, IV nutrition given to her because she wasn't able to eat. Um, by the time I saw her, most of her bowel had been removed, so she had a colostomy, but many of the wounds uh, from her surgeries were not healing very well. And so she really looked incredibly pitiful. When she had come in, she had black hair. When I saw her, she had gray hair, and her hair was almost falling out. So when she realized who I was, recognized me, she whispered something to me, and I couldn't couldn't hear what she was saying, and she kept saying it over and over. Finally, I got close enough, got my ear close enough to her, her mouth that I could hear her saying, help me. And so I said, I, I am trying to help you. And we went through this a, a couple of different times, and finally, at one point, she said to me, kill me. And I couldn't believe it. I was a new grad RN. I was shocked. I knew this person. I cared about her deeply. I cared about her situation. I couldn't believe that she had actually asked me to kill her. And um, as I was trying to uh, process that in my mind, I told her that I would do everything I could to help her and that we would, you know, try and help her get better. Um, at, at about that time, something happened that I'd never seen before, and it was that she started to bleed from every orifice. So from her mouth, her nose, her ears, her eyes, all of the um, surgery sites that she had were all bleeding. And um, I didn't know what it was at the time. I knew that it was uh, going to be fatal if it continued. And so I had seconds to decide what was I going to do. Was I going to listen to her plea to me to just let her die? Was I going to push the code button, the, the red code bucket button in the room, um, to bring help uh, and put her through yet more agonizing treatment? I didn't know what to do. I, I, I know it was only a few minutes that I was trying to think about all of this, but I finally pushed the code button, which is what I had to do as a nurse uh, and then the code team came in and it was out of my 
responsibility. She did not live through the resuscitation, and anybody that knew her was relieved. I guess that's all we could say, was just relieved that her ordeal was at an end. I learned later that what she was experiencing at that time was called DIC, disseminating intravascular clotting. And what it meant was that she had used up all of the clotting factors in her body so that um, she started to bleed and there was nothing in her body that could stop the bleeding, that could clot it. And so it just, like water, it just came out everywhere. It was um, very, very difficult for me to have seen this, to have experienced all that I experienced with her. And I uh, didn't realize it, but for even years afterward, I kept going back over that and thinking, was I really um, worthy of being a nurse? Had I made the right decision? Should I have made some other decision? Uh, What else could I have done? Um, I just kept going over and over it. And it it just, uh, I, I finally got to the point that I really questioned whether I should be a nurse. And... At that point, I was contacting, I was still talking to the supervisor that I'd had at the time, and I called her, and I just said, wanted to talk about the situation, and she said, oh, I'm so sorry, I never, I guess I never really explained what had happened in that situation. It turned out that the doctor also had cancer. He had colon cancer, and he, what he so believed in science and he so believed in medicine and he so believed in himself that he felt that if he could cure her there was nothing that could not that he would be able to be cured also and so it was sort of a I don't know a a really terrible thing that he was so involved with her um, according to his own situation that he kept pushing and pushing to be able to try and save her. Uh, eventually, the, the um, supervisor told me that he also died and he refused any treatment at all, which is kind of interesting. So that was one of those situations that, of course, stayed with me my entire life. And I realized the enormity of the decisions that nurses do have to make. And... Uh, so uh, that was an experience that I think really helped me in, in the long run. So I'm going to appeal again. I'm hoping there's somebody who is brave enough to pick up the phone and call 1-866-472-5792 before I get into another story. I could talk for days, and you certainly don't want to hear me talking the entire time. So I'm really hoping that someone will be able to call in and share your experience with us. So in the meantime, I'm going to start another story. So uh, I wanted to talk about, um, this is another one that happened uh, in the, um, when I was working as a labor and delivery nurse. And I was working uh, with a patient who was a nurse. She was an ICU nurse, and she and her husband were having, I think it was their second or third child. So they had a pretty good feel for it. They'd had good deliveries with the all of the other children, and so they felt that this would be also the same thing. And um, so as we went through the labor, it was fun. It, everything went uh, perfectly. Uh, there was no problem at all. 
and uh, as we got to the delivery and the, the cord was cut, uh, it became very clear to me something was really, really wrong. And so I, again, pushed a code, this time for a neonatal code, and the doctor, an uh, anesthesiologist, uh, came up to, um, to the floor and was going to work with us. What ended up happening, um, we weren't able to get the baby to breathe, and the nurse uh, the ICU mother knew that something was desperately wrong and she could see by the color of the baby that unless something changed quickly, um, this was going to be a negative outcome. Uh, what actually ended up happening was this was another malformation. Uh, the baby had never developed a diaphragm and so all of the contents of the stomach for her whole labor, or I mean for her whole uh, pregnancy had moved up into her uh, abdomen and the lungs never formed. So there really was no way that we could resuscitate the baby because it simply didn't have the, um, uh, didn't have the, the um, lungs to be able to be resuscitated. Um, I was able to work with the mother and the family, and so it ended up, even though it was a very difficult situation, it ended up um, that we were able to, to um, I was able to really be helpful to them in going on with their uh, dealing with their loss. So I see that we do have a caller, and so I would like to go to that caller. And um, this person is Tamara, and so I'd like Hi, to welcome. Ann. Hi, Tamara. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. Tamara is good. one of my students from my refresher course, and so yes. is there something you'd like to share with us? Yes, um, I actually wrote up a little something. Um, okay. Is it okay if I just read it? You sure can. Okay, cool. So, um, earlier today you emailed me about, like, maybe answering when I found out nursing was for me. Uh-huh. So, I wrote, I wrote, I wrote this up. Um, so, like, grew up, I adored my father, and he was a doctor, And when someone was sick, I saw that my father could always, like, answer them or, like, cure um, the person that was sick or at least find an answer. Um, So when I grew up, like, I could see that the knowledge that he learned from science, that that knowledge could save someone's life. So I knew I could, if I learned this information, that maybe I could help my the ones I love and yeah. I knew it would be beneficial so um I Tamara I just want to let you know we have about three minutes left so just so you can uh, I'm so sorry that it's such little oh. time left but I just wanted you to oh. know that That's okay fine. go ahead go I'll, ahead I'll just sum it up um let's see so I think you said like was there a moment where I just knew nursing was for me and I yes. would say that there really wasn't a moment, um, but I would say that that nursing has changed my life in a way I never thought it would. Mm. I remember being in um, nursing school, and um, they taught us, like, holistic caring and, like, you know, touching people and, like, you know, caring about the patients. And growing up in my family, everyone was strict Republican, like, caring about someone that was a joke it was a joke to me so I mean it really took actually your refresher course and like thank you your your teaching of 
skills not just as a nurse as like being the best best person you can be. And I think that's what nursing is. It's like being the best person possible. We're servants. We're servants for people. And we want people to do well. So I feel like I didn't choose nursing. Nursing sort of became me in, like, what you've taught me. And um, and it's taught me to, like, not judge, see a person as a whole person, to be understanding, to never give up, to remain curious and to look for deeper meaning and to find, like, causes that aren't just black and white, that they're... That to, to always be curious and to find more answers to stuff. So I think Tamara, I want to thank like, you so oh, much yeah. for that because I know how difficult it is for you to speak to a lot of other people. And yeah, so sorry. I really, really <laughs> want to appreciate that you did that. And thank you so much. Um, I will be interested to keep in touch with you over the years and see yeah. how things keep going for you. But thank you for calling in. Thank you and so much. Unfortunately, we have to, we have to stop here. So um, I just wanted to say thank you to all of the listeners for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, uh, exploring the world of nursing. We will be back next Monday. And on that particular um, show, we are going to be talking about uh, finding mission after 65 years old. And we'll be talking with the executive director, Tim Thorpe of Pathways of Minneapolis, and also um, Mary Johnson, who worked at Pathways, and another nurse, uh, Nancy Sawyer, who originally was in OB nursing, and then found her mission in supporting families who lost babies. So she's the founder of the Director of Garden of the Sleeping Angels, and we will have um, an opportunity then for people to call in also. So thank you again so very much for listening. And for any um, comments, suggestions, ideas that you have for this show are very, very welcome. Thank you again. And we'll uh, tune in next week. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.